Weathering Coronavirus podcast. Here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening in today. Today's show is going to focus on the exit plan. How do we get out of this extreme social distancing and back to normalcy? As COVID-19 hitchhiked around the globe from China on planes and ships, and the world began seeing on the news China's aggressive response to fighting the spread of this virus, China worked around the clock to build entire new hospitals dedicated to treating the more severe of the cases. 2,600 new hospital beds were created to meet the demand in Wuhan. These were added to pre-existing beds, and a total of 11,537 beds were dedicated to treating coronavirus. Keep in mind that there are 11 million people who live in Wuhan, so this is a very large city. China was able to provide hospital care to one out of every 1,000 people in Wuhan. With quarantines and other protective measures, the spread of the virus slowed. Out of 81,000 cases, there are only 4,300 cases today. 3,300 people did die. Of course, we have no way of knowing how many mild cases were never reported, but odds are that it is a 10x or even a 100x number. At this point, this is old news, so why am I repeating it today? This is from the Associated Press, APNews.com. Yesterday, President Trump stated, as many public health officials call for stricter, not looser restrictions on public interactions, Trump said he was already looking toward easing the advisories that have sidelined workers, shuttered schools, and led to a widespread economic slowdown. I would love to have a country opened up and just raring to go by Easter, he said, during a Fox News virtual town hall. Easter is just over two weeks away on April the 12th. Health experts have made clear that unless Americans continue to dramatically limit social interaction, staying at home from work and isolating themselves, the number of infections will overwhelm the healthcare system, as it has in parts of Italy, leading to many more deaths. While the worst outbreaks are concentrated in certain parts of the country, such as New York, experts warn that the highly infectious disease is certain to spread. That, again, was from the Associated Press. Until the population of the world develops widespread immunity, social distancing is the best tool we have to combat the spread of COVID-19. However, shutting down the commerce and productivity of the world long-term will prolong dire economic impacts. We all know this. And more people could die from the economic impacts than from coronavirus itself. How do we measure or predict such outcomes? Ultimately, the way the world wins against this virus may be by allowing governed spreading of the virus. While we are in very early days of the coronavirus epidemic, it's already time to start planning and preparing for the exit plan from extreme social distancing, quarantines, and lockdowns. I've not been seeing much talk in the media about how this might be carried out. Maybe it's time for we the people to step up and start providing some potentially viable strategies for getting back to work and back to school and back to supporting the restaurants and businesses that depend on our commerce. How can we end the lockdowns responsibly and with no increase in lives lost? Surely that's the question that we all need an answer to as soon as possible. That matters far more than developing a vaccine or creating some antiviral treatment that might help with treating COVID-19. Let's face it, by the time these new medical interventions are developed, the long-term economic impacts may have already killed more people than the virus. I don't have the answers, but we the people include some of the most intelligent, well-trained, creative, and best thinkers of all time. We need to start brainstorming, people. 
Forgive me for speculating. So here is a healthy dose of speculation. The lockdown's closures and extreme social distancing were intended to flatten the curve so a small percentage of critical cases would not overwhelm the medical resources needed to treat them. No doubt, we're making progress in that direction, and we should celebrate that. However, the curve is not flattened yet, and I don't want to speculate on what we would be seeing without these measures. Let's say that we get the spread of the virus under control in the next two weeks and do flatten the curve. Currently, only one out of every 7,500 people in the United States have been identified with the virus. Of course, that number is likely off by a factor of 10. So because so few people have actually been tested, I would speculate that a more accurate number would be about one out of every 750. That means that in a couple of weeks, one person out of every 750 people might have immunity. So what happens if we do open the businesses and reopen the schools and attempt a new normal? Consider just a few cases coming to America's shores spread to every state in the Union in a matter of days, and that with very few people actually infected. Now we have over 44,000 people infected in the United States, and they're spread throughout the nation and those viruses are ready to charge forward. What are the odds that we would not quickly get another much more extreme outbreak? Speculation says we would, and it would be worse than the original would have been since more seeds are planted now throughout the population. So how do we keep this social distancing delay from making matters worse in the long run? And if we attempt using social distancing again on a second outbreak, shutting down the planet again, then the economic impacts would be far, far worse, because we would have proven that we don't have a viable solution. While speculation about outcomes has crashed the economies of the planet, it was hopeful speculation that slowed that demise and has also allowed for the biggest rebound on Wall Street since 1933, which happened yesterday. But hopeful speculation can be dashed against the rocks if we prove we don't have an exit strategy. So what do we do? I'm inviting all of us, you, me, friends, neighbors, medical professionals, politicians, and all you genius minds out there to start brainstorming. We need quick and effective solutions. May I start stirring the brainstorming pot with a few ideas? So here are some of my ideas about an exit strategy. We have to allow the population to develop widespread immunity without experiencing out-of-control needs for hospitalizations or elevated death rates. To keep from overwhelming the medical resources of the planet, we must adopt a multifaceted approach. First, create more beds. And when I say beds, there's a lot of things that are included in the idea of a hospital bed. Um, that means that we need more medical staff. So we should train a small army of medical staff who may only specialize in this one illness if necessary. Then we would need to assure that we have all the resources in place immediately. That means nebulizers, oxygen, intubation kits, medicines, IVs, monitoring schema and equipment. We would need to isolate and protect susceptible populations, meaning the elderly and those with the underlying medical conditions. These people must be protected. 
ease out of the shutdown mode with healthy populations in a governed way in stages. We would be allowing people to get sick on purpose and build immunity to COVID-19. The illness for a healthy person is light to moderate, and once one has immunity, then he or she would be free to help restart the engines of the economy. Then we would also need to increase testing enormously. We need to establish what population has immunity and quickly identify those susceptible populations if they become sick very quickly. So, for instance, if someone in an extended care home, a nursing home, or a retirement center became infected, then we would need to be able to identify that immediately so proper steps could be implemented to keep the illness from spreading. Perhaps given a few months of this careful easing back into normalcy, we could get the majority of the population back working and schooling again. And with the time that we buy by carefully doing this, maybe a vaccine or a treatment may be developed that could care for the more susceptible populations. So how might this be done? Why are we not already training and building facilities and ramping up production of medical supplies? I just don't see enough going on in that area. And now for a very radical idea, it might be necessary for people to carry an indication of their immunity status for this approach to work. That scares me a little bit. It smacks of totalitarian measures that I'm not sure a free society should accept. But then we've already accepted the closing of our schools and businesses. What's more totalitarian than that? Extreme times, extreme measures. It's time that we return to extreme liberty. May that journey begin soon. Okay, so those are my uninformed layperson ideas for getting out of the lockdowns and moving our society back to productivity again. I am encouraging everyone to brainstorm and come up with ideas and begin the conversation on how we do this. As I illustrated, it's very likely that if we were to just stop the social distancing and the isolation of the sick, then we would have a second outbreak of this virus, which would be much, much worse than the first. So maybe we can't just stop. And I don't think that we can stay isolated for the months required to come up with treatments and vaccines. So we're going to have to have a methodology that allows us to slowly build immunity as a society. That's where my brain is. What are your thoughts? I want this podcast to always be an encouragement to people as we're traveling through this difficult and challenging time together. And maybe talking about things in such black and white terms doesn't build that sense of encouragement. But I'm a bit of a pragmatist. And that means that if we can come up with practical solutions and start implementing them, then I feel encouraged. Because then I see real hope, I see progress, and I see us moving in a direction that will get us out of this current state of limbo and confusion. And here's some uplifting news. The Los Angeles Times reports that Michael Levitt, a Nobel laureate who is also a Stanford biophysicist, began analyzing the number of COVID-19 cases worldwide back in January, and he calculated that China would get through the worst of its coronavirus outbreak long before many health experts had predicted. 
And then as the virus outbreak in China ran its course, he was proven right almost to the T. And this is what he's saying. The correct way to try to predict the duration of this sort of an outbreak is to not look at the number of new cases that you're getting, but the change in the rate of new cases that are being discovered. And by analyzing the change in the rate of new cases being discovered, you can do a pretty good prediction on how long it'll take before the curve goes the other direction and the outbreak is contained. Levitt is saying that the data do not support the model of an extended duration for this outbreak of coronavirus, and rather that it should come to a close relatively quickly, and that these worst-case scenarios for the number of deaths and illnesses are, are very much inflated based on numerical analysis that he is doing. He does support continued reasonable social distancing measures, and he feels that we need to focus on not creating panic the article does point out that since September, the flu in the United States has sickened 36 million Americans and has killed an estimated 22,000. So the flu is the big one at this point. Of course, we don't want coronavirus to become a big one. But I, I guess the point is that the media has been giving an awful lot of scary attention to coronavirus, and the flu is largely going ignored but the flu is, is vastly outpacing coronavirus in both the number of people that are sick as well as in the number of fatalities. I personally feel that we're going to have to be careful about the economic shutdown and that it doesn't cause more damage than the coronavirus itself. It's time for the numbers. You know, this week we have done a few deep dives into the numbers where we try to explain away a lot of the confusion. The numbers right now still don't represent the true scenario of what's going on. And so I keep on calling for caution and asking people not to get too nervous about them. I think it's important that we take the time to look at the numbers so we can see how things are trending, but I don't want to overlook at the numbers today. I do want to remind you that because of the increased rate of testing, we're finding a lot more positive cases and it makes it look like this virus is spreading very, very quickly when the reality is the new cases that we're finding are, are people that may have been you know, sick for up to a couple of weeks already. So it's not really telling us the growth rate of the virus itself. But in the United States today, we are up to 64,765 cases identified. That was as of the midnight Greenwich Mean Time. Um, if we look at the deaths and the recovery rate, then that those numbers are the most skewed of all. It, it, those numbers are meaningless right now, so I haven't even been reporting what that looks like, except that we do have 910 deaths in the United States. I don't want to see anyone dying from this virus, but like I mentioned, you know, compared to the 22,000 deaths that we've already had this flu season, um, 900 is still a very small number, and if you compare that number to the population of the United States, it's also an extraordinarily small number. So I don't want people to be overthinking that. A couple of things that we do need to highlight. New York still really struggling. 
Uh, they got 5,473 new cases yesterday, and so far today, another 4,463. New York is exploding with cases right now, and that is, that's where the United States need to focus a lot of effort, is how to try to flatten the curve for New York. Um, New York is, is certainly the hot spot. Total cases in New York, 30,811. New Jersey is coming in with 4,000 cases, and most of those are probably related to, you know, New Jersey and New York essentially sharing the same city. 2,800 in California, 2,500 in Washington, 2,200 in Michigan, 1,800 Illinois, Massachusetts, 1,800 Louisiana, 1,795 Florida, 1,600 Georgia, 1,200 Pennsylvania, 1,100 Texas, 1,100 Colorado, 900 Tennessee 900 Connecticut 875 Ohio 700 if you haven't heard your state yet it's because you're doing far better than these states while the numbers have grown significantly this week I think it's a matter of testing more than it is the spread of the virus so it's good to know what the real numbers are but at this point we're still trying to find out how many people are actually sick out there because there haven't been enough people tested but if we compare those numbers to the population of these states or of the nation, we find out that we're still working with very small numbers of people. Yesterday, I updated the numbers so that we could see how many cases there were per people that were not sick. So I did that again today, and it's interesting to see the trend. Again, this is based on testing. It's not really based on reality, but it's the best we have right now. China, one out of every about 18,000 people got sick. Um, Italy, 874, so one out of every 874 people is sick. Italy seems to be struggling the most right now. In the United States, yesterday I was able to report one out of every 7,500 people is sick. Uh, Right now, it is one out of every 6,000 people, based on the new information coming in. Even so, think about how small those numbers are. Like I said yesterday, if you went out and shook the hands of 6,000 people, then odds were only one of them would have coronavirus. So the numbers in the United States are still quite small. We would like to keep it that way. People, what's the what's the big story here? If we pull back out of the numbers, we pull back out of all the news articles, what are we seeing? We're seeing that the United States is doing right things to help as many people as possible. We're seeing that the number of people sick is very low and that the number of critical cases is even lower. I don't think that this virus calls for panic in any way. I'm glad that people are being responsible and that we're doing right things. But hey, a lot of good can come out of this. Make the most of this family time. If you're at home from work for the first time in years, you know, make the most of spending some time with your family and having the opportunity to kind of press the reset button a little bit. A lot of strength grows out of adversity. You know, the book of John reminds us that there's no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear, and that matters. I think right now we have a great opportunity to show our neighbors some love, show our family some love, and as we share love, we know that the fear can go away. So, people, no worries out there. Let's make the most of our circumstances. Thank you for listening in to Weathering Coronavirus, Updates, and Hope. This is your host, Kurt Linville, and the show is produced by Caleb Linville. Be safe out there.